All right, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Thank you that you are good. You're indeed very good. You know the number of hairs on our head. You know the things that concern us. And Lord, there are heavy things that concern us. And so we thank you that they're no surprise to you. They're not stressful to you. They're not burdensome to you, but they're really just opportunities for you to demonstrate your grace and your mercy uh, to us. And uh, Lord, we do pray that you would give us wisdom. Lord, we desperately need wisdom in these days. And uh, Lord, help us to look to you, that you would guide us and you would lead us. You'd be our anchor. You'd be our rock. You'd be our protector. You'd be our guide. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for these few pages of your word that you've given us to instruct us and uh, to um, even maybe instruct us from examples of those who've gone before us, maybe even in the wrong ways. And uh, um, Lord, we just thank you that you're you're over all of it. And so uh, just have your way with us, please, now. As we look at your word together in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you don't have a Bible, there are some back on the back table. If you would feel free to grab any. Does anybody need a Bible? Is everybody good? I'm sorry, you'd be, I'm sorry to call you out. I, you'd be ashamed to, you wouldn't like raise your hand if you didn't have one, right? But I'm sorry. Uh, but anyway, if you want one, feel free to grab one back there. There's always some back there. I even actually, we ordered, it's kind of funny, ordered a bunch of study Bibles because, you know, I realized that not everybody has a study Bible, and that's kind of a cool tool to have. You ought to have a, you ought to have a good Bible, right? Like a, you ought to have a good Bible. And uh, so ordered a bunch of them about um, three months ago, and they're still on back order. So there you go. Welcome to America. Um, they'll get here, though. They promised me as I sent the check. Um, Jeremiah, we're in chapter 3. Lord willing, today we're going to read chapter 3 and 4. And uh, we've been reading about, um, for the first couple of chapters, really kind of getting started on sort of the life of Jeremiah and that God called him to be a prophet and, and uh, the time period he was in. And you have to understand, as we're going through a book like Jeremiah, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the historical context of the day, because we have to understand that in order to understand what he was talking about and what he was dealing with. We also get a little uh, bit of prophecy that he was prophesying to his people, but also a more what often happens that we see in prophecy, there's sort of what we call a near fulfillment and a later fulfillment. So some of what Jeremiah talks about is yet to, to uh, occur, and some of it was in sort of his immediate future. And his immediate future... Um, you recall maybe from a couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, he started prophesying during the days of King Josiah, who was the last good king in the nation of Judah. Let me back up a minute. After the time of King Solomon, his son Rehoboam was on the throne. And during that time, during the reign of King Rehoboam, the nation was divided. So when we hear that, when we talk about the nation of Israel, there's the northern 10 tribes, 
Uh, remember, there were 12 sons of Jacob. They made the 12 tribes of Israel. Anyway, the northern 10 tribes became collectively known as the nation of Israel, right? Not hard to remember that because that's still Israel. The southern, tri- the southern nation was uh, made up of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, but we collectively refer to that nation as Judah. So you got northern Israel, northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. And by this point in history, the northern kingdom of Israel has been conquered by the Assyrians and scattered. Okay, that's important. And the southern kingdom of Judah, they saw what happened. They saw that it was a result of the sin of the northern kingdom. And now they're going to go down the same path, uh, conquered by a different enemy, Babylon. And uh, Jeremiah has... Uh, the responsibility of basically having a front row seat for all of that and prophesying during that. And so Jeremiah starts his prophetic ministry during the reign of King Josiah, and then he watches the slow, downward, moral, and spiritual demise, really, of his own homeland. And he literally watches the Babylonians come and surround the city for a year and a half, starving them out, and then conquering and carrying them off to Babylon. And it's a sad, sad uh, testimony of where sin takes us uh, as a nation and as individuals. And so obviously we want to avoid such a fate. And so, um, you know, sometimes if you want to avoid a fate, uh, you read uh, how people got into a mess, right? And sometimes in Scripture we read beautiful exhortations and, and like... You know, I go back to my mind still in Colossians a little bit that we read before we started this book of Jeremiah. You know, it's great, you know, almost poetic encouragements from the Lord. It just kind of warms your heart. And now another piece of the lesson is we go to Jeremiah. That's why we read the whole Bible. Uh, is maybe not quite as much as what we would call fun, right, to read about uh, the downfall of a nation and how to avoid those pitfalls. But it is what it is, and it's educational for us. Is that fair? All right. That was like above average. Yes. Still a C minus, but above average. So, um, chapter two we read last week. Uh, he started into this, um, basically his first sermon, if you will, talking about you know punishment's going to come from God because they've exchanged their love for the Lord for a love for false idols. And so um, that's where we pick up here in chapter 3. Chapter 3 starts out, they say, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's, may may he return to her again? Would not that land be greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot with many lovers, Yet return to me, says the Lord. Lift up your eyes to the desolate heights and see where have you not lain with men. By the road you have sat for them like an Arabian in the wilderness, and you have polluted the land with your harlotries and your wickedness. Now, we want to treat this with as much dignity as we can, but the reality is in Deuteronomy chapter 4 was written in the Old Testament law that if a wife left her husband, and let's say got remarried to another guy, and then that relationship doesn't work out. It, you know, the Old Test- according to the Old Testament law, she couldn't go back to her first husband because she was now defiled, if you will. Okay? That was, again, according to the Old Testament law. And 
basically, he's referring to that aspect of that. But in this case, he's saying, you know, and again, there's this image throughout the Scripture of God as the husband and uh, the nation of Israel, or in the New Testament context, the church as the bride of Christ, right? And so, uh, but in the Old Testament context, we see God as the husband and, and Israel, or collectively Israel and Judah, as uh, the bride. And so, you know, he's saying, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, I've been a faithful husband, and, uh, sorry about this, bear with me. I've been a faithful husband, and you, Israel, have not only left for another man, you've left to go become a harlot, and have experienced many men, right? And so, uh, it's much worse right? It's much more like um, uh, if you adhere strictly to the Old Testament law, it's much more of a no-brainer that, no, you don't come back to the first husband. But notice God's mercy. He says, yet return to me, says the Lord there at the end of verse 1. Yet return to me. And I want you to notice, as we'll talk today, one of the most overriding words that we're going to read is return. Return. We're talking to a nation, Jeremiah is talking to a nation that is immersed in wicked pagan idolatry. And God's call to the nation is return. And I want us to see this as we apply this to our lives. You know, is our nation uh, in need of repentance? You could make a pretty strong case there, yes. And so, you know, there's, a, there's maybe a social responsibility, a, a civic responsibility we have as citizens of that nation to encourage that kind of return. But there's also uh, a call for personal return, personal repentance, a personal uh, walk that we have with the Lord. And we all have very individual relationships with the Lord, right, that only we and the Lord have. And uh, that's an intimate relationship. Jesus Christ died on a cross to uh, make that relationship available and to, re- and to basically restore that relationship that was broken by sin. So all that's available. And no matter where we've gone, get this, no matter where we've gone, God says, yet, return to me. Please notice that that opportunity is always available. You cannot get so far away from the Lord that return is not an option. This side of heaven. And, and yet, honestly, you know, think about when you get lost driving somewhere, right? When's the smartest time to turn around? Early. The first lost turn right? The first missed turn. Later, the opportunity still exists, but it's, it's, there's a little more baggage that goes along with the trip, right? And so uh, that kind of plays out spiritually as well. He says, therefore, so he says, basically, you guys have gone and you've played the harlot. I'm calling you to return to me. Now, sadly, the nation of Judah, at least in this context, uh, is not going to return uh, collectively, and they're going to, they're going to, find their demise, but uh, the call is still there. He says, therefore, this is what's happened as a result of everything I just read in verse 1 and 2, because we see that word therefore. Therefore, the showers have been withheld, 
and there has been no latter rain. You have had a harlot's forehead. You refuse to be ashamed. And so what he's saying to these people, to this nation, therefore, because you guys have played the harlot, I withheld the rain. You got a drought. And we see this many times in the Old Testament. We see famine or drought come as uh, a consequence of sin, right? Now, sometimes famine just happens just because it happens, right? Uh, there was a famine in the days of Abraham. I'm not sure there's any reason given as to why. There's a famine in the time of uh, Joseph that would basically allowed an opportunity for Joseph to rise to the uh, second to Pharaoh, right? Not really necessarily uh, any indication we have in the scripture that that was a result of sin, but there are times when famine does come as a result of sin. There are times when drought comes as a result of sin. I think we need to maybe as individuals and certainly as a society need to learn how to say as the disciples said on the night Jesus was betrayed. Is it I? Remember that? Jesus says, hey, one of you guys is going to betray me. And basically all but two said, could it be me? Right? Judas, I don't think, said it. And our old friend Peter said, uh-uh, not me. I'm going down with you. I'll go the distance. Right? The other ten were like, could it be me? Let me just encourage us. That's a healthy thing to ask. That's insightful. To me, that's one of the most insightful pieces of Scripture. It's when the disciples could say, you know, I love you, Lord, but I have an acute awareness of my sin nature. I recognize my frailty. I recognize that I'm fallible. And so if you say one of us is going to betray you, I might be inclined to say, I hope it's not me, but that's it's possible, right? And then that kind of keeps, when we can learn to ask those kinds of questions, it keeps us humble enough to be teachable enough to kind of stay in a good place with the Lord in a sense. Can I tell you something I've, I really prayed about and wrestled about whether or not to share this, but I want to share a story. Can I share a story? I had a phone call this week from a pastor friend of mine up in Indianapolis. And um, if you're visiting or you don't know, I'm a, I'm a doctor. I'm a family doctor. And my pastor friend, he said, I got this lady in our church. Um, and she's got COVID. And uh, she's at home she's got oxygen going and her oxygen saturations are in the mid 80s with the oxygen going so if you know if you've had one of those things on your finger you know it's supposed to be about 95 to 100 and 80s is bad and she's struggling to breathe what should i tell her right now y'all didn't go to medical school what should he tell her Get your tail to the hospital now. Now. She's in trouble. Why did he call me? 
because she didn't want to go to the hospital. Why did she not want to go to the hospital? Because she didn't trust the hospital. She was afraid of the hospital. Now, I could pretty easily divide the room in half, right? If I start talking about masks, or if I start talking about vaccines, or if I start talking about this, or if I start talking about that, and uh, honestly, I applaud you guys. We've, We've all managed to avoid that trap, I think, for the last year and a half. And uh, let me just say parenthetically, as a pastor, I am very appreciative of that. I talk to pastor friends of mine who've had disasters in their church because this faction wants to go this way and this faction wants to go this way, and and next thing you know, it's all a big implosion. And so, anyway, so we've, by the grace of God, been uh, exempted from that largely. But let me just say this. There's a credibility problem. So I'm not, so if I'm going to, I told one guy earlier, if I'm going to dog on anybody, I'm going to dog on doctors, right? So that's probably safe. I think healthcare has a credibility crisis. Why someone, I don't think I really have to think that a grown adult breathing 80, 80 whatever percent oxygen on, on oxygen and, and saturations in the 80s, I really don't think it's likely that she's scratching her head wondering what would be the next medical step to take. I really think, and as it turns out, I brought this out of the conversation, it's all about she's afraid to go seek health care from what we always hear is the world's best health care system. Right? Is this real? This is very real. And it's a problem. And, you know, COVID's a huge problem. I want to be super sensitive to it. Uh, I mean, I heard, I think, two stories so far this morning of of loved ones that are either in trouble or have died, okay? It's very real. It's very tangible to all of us. We all get that. It's a big problem. There are lots of various hypotheses on the solution to the problem, and I'm not going to get into all that. But I do know that one problem that I think needs to be fixed is healthcare providers Healthcare companies, hospitals, doctors, pharmaceutical people need to ask the question, is it I? Is that lady afraid to go to the hospital because of something I've done? Or should I continue to treat her like she's an idiot and thereby make the problem worse? Am I, am I talking truth? The reason she won't come to the hospital is because I'm going to shame her and treat her like she's an idiot. And to that I say, shame on us. I am very passionate about this. Shame on us. Well, let's back, back up a little bit for history. Where did, that, where did that distrust come from? You know, the last healthcare crisis, really, if you sense, in a sense, if you think about it, before COVID, 
was we had an opioid crisis. Remember the opioid crisis? You know how we got that opioid crisis? Anybody? Anybody study history in the last 30 years? I'll tell you how I think we got the opioid crisis because I was a part of it. We got the opioid crisis because doctors were a little loose in their prescribing habits. Why were doctors a little loose in their prescribing habits? Because back in the 90s, they told people like me, you need to load them up with opioids because everybody knows they're not addictive. That was expert opinion in the 90s. Some of you remember this. That was expert opinion in the 90s. Do you remember, anybody ever been asked, by show of hands, anybody ever been asked, what's your pain scale on a scale from 1 to 10? Right? And you all think, that's a ridiculous question. You know, when that, you know where that question came to American uh, medical vernacular? When did that, when did that, when did that thing that pain number become a thing. And it actually became part of our vital signs, right? You go to the doctor, you're going to get your, you know, your temperature, your blood pressure, your pulse, your respiratory rate, and your pain scale on a scale from 1 to 10, right? You say, I'm here for my DOT physical. All right, good. What's your, what's your, um, your temperature, your blood pressure, your pulse, your, heart, your respiratory rate, and your pain scale? I said, I'm here for my DOT physical. I don't care. We need to know what your pain scale is. When did it become one of the vital signs? Back in the 90s. Why? Because we need to all be sensitive to one another's pains, and we need to be dishing it out. Right? Fast forward 30 years. Right? Uh, the drug makers are paying a lot of money in class action lawsuits because the drug makers and the experts and is this good? Is it hot in here? The drug makers and the experts, and, and next thing you know, Joe, Joe Doctor, pfft. you're in pain? Sure, sure, sure. Why? Because the experts tell me, right? Can I tell you, I've, got a, I, I've developed a healthy disregard for experts, right? Remember Vioxx? Anybody remember Vioxx? It was a wonder drug. It was the first in a class of what they call COX-2 inhibitors. It would treat your arthritis without messing up your stomach or your heart or anything else like that. I remember back in the day, uh, in my office, I had drug reps tripping over each other, bringing, bringing Vioxx into my office, right? It was approved by the FDA. It was created by Big, by big Pharma, and it was uh, widely distributed. Oh, until we realized it killed people. Right? Why does that lady sit in her home with an oxygen saturation in the 80s afraid to go to the doctor? Because she knows he's going to treat her like an idiot. Because he's not going to give her the respect to make her own decisions about her health care. He's going to treat her like a condescending, pompous doctor. I feel better. <laughs> Therefore, the showers have been withheld. Verse 3. Therefore, the showers have been withheld. There's been no latter rain. You've had a harlot's forehead, right? The idea here, the image is a, a harlot's forehead is like, I didn't do anything wrong. It just, you know, the rain just kind of brushes off. I didn't do anything wrong. 
I didn't do anything wrong. And, you know, again, not all drought is because we're walking in sin. But we need, as individuals and as a society, we need to learn how to say, is it I? Could the drought be a result of my sin? That's the first step for recognizing it, right? And we need to be quick to repent, quick to repent. Sometimes God uses droughts to get our attention. And that's just a reality of it. Verse 4, will you not from this time cry to me? My father, you are the guide of my youth. Will he remain angry forever? Will he keep it to the end? Behold, you have spoken and done evil things as you were able. So God is calling them to repentance, but they're not going to do it. Jeremiah knows that they're not going to do it. God knows they're not going to do it. So the Lord also has said to me in the days of Josiah the king, again, this would have been early in Jeremiah's um, uh, ministry because it's the, Josiah the king was the first king that he, um, that he ministered during that, his time. And so the Lord said to me in those days, have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? So again, now this is Israel. We're referring to the northern kingdom of Israel, okay? They've already been, they've already been, taken out by the Assyrians. But have you seen what backsliding Israel's done? She's gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree. These were sort of their objects of pagan worship. And there played the harlot. And I said, after she had done all these things, return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Then I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I'd put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also. And so it came to pass through all her casual harlotry that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. In pretense, says the Lord. Then the Lord said to me, backsliding Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. And so what do we see here? Notice this. The northern kingdom of God, the northern kingdom of Israel had sinned uh, and God punished them. God had the Assyrians conquer them. And Judah's sin now is worse in the eyes of God because they saw what happened to Israel and they failed to repent. They failed to act differently. Why are we studying these nations, these sinful nations, so we can act differently? Why do we study pitfalls that human beings have gone through before and nations that have gone through before us? And so we will not fall in the same, same traps. Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah, saw the trap that Israel fell into and they went down the same path. And notice, I said this is written during the time of Josiah. You may recall from a couple weeks ago, during the reign of Josiah, there was a great revival. There was a great revival. And to be fair, many of the people, there probably was a genuine, sincere revival. But at least some people, according to the Lord, is not with a whole heart, but in pretense. But in pretense. So please be aware that when the Lord calls us to repentance, when the Lord says, return. We need to do it wholeheartedly and not in pretense. And know that we're accountable for the knowledge that we have. Can I tell you this? 
We're accountable for the knowledge we have. Judah was more uh, uh, condemned than Israel largely because they saw what happened to Israel and they chose the same, the same fate. And we, honestly, we're a Christian nation. We're sitting here reading the Bible. To whom much is given, Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. He says, for everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. Luke 12, 48. We've been given much. We're accountable for much. Verse 12, he goes on. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, return. So now he's talking even to the north after their destruction by the Assyrians because there's still a remnant of people up there. Return, backsliding Israel, says the Lord. I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not remain angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity, that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your charms to your alien deities under every green tree, and you have not obeyed my voice, says the Lord. So God invites even the scattered northern kingdom to return. But the, the, the requirement is, Acknowledge your iniquity. Acknowledge your iniquity. We need to have short accounts with God individually in our walks with the Lord. We need to have very short accounts with God. When we stumble, when He, when he lets something get our attention, that's all right. Just acknowledge it and return. Notice how many times we're going to read the word return today. Verse 14, return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And so I believe here he's moving into a little bit of a description about the millennial kingdom. Now, just uh, for a brief overview, um, different people have different opinions about this, and I'll tell you mine. Uh, And that is there will be a day when I believe the church is raptured. Uh, it's pretty well described uh, in Corinthians, Thessalonians, and elsewhere. And I believe uh, they'll all be standing around and in the blink of an eye, twinkling of an eye, boom, a bunch of us will be gone. Lord willing, all of us will be gone, right? But there'll be some people left. And they'll look around and they'll say, huh, that was weird. And there'll be some spin on CNN about it because... I don't know, there might be a couple CNN people still around. Um, But, you know, there'll be a spin on that, right? And uh, there'll be, uh, you know, there'll be a lot of discussion. And then the Great Tribulation, uh, which goes on for seven years, uh, and a lot of things are going to happen during the Great Tribulation. In the middle of that tribulation, the Antichrist is going to uh, uh, basically desecrate the the newly built uh, temple in Jerusalem. And then at the end of that seven years, Jesus comes back uh, with his bride, with the bride of Christ, and sets up a reign on earth from Jerusalem for a thousand years. And we get to be a part of that, I believe. Would it be cool to be on earth for a thousand years when there's one government and Jesus is the king? Would that be cool? And Satan, by the way, will be uh, bound uh, during that time. And so, uh, and then after that is final judgment, heaven and hell, 
at the end of the thousand-year reign. So um, a lot of these prophetic uh, descriptions go into a thousand-year reign. You remember in Isaiah, there was a couple references, you know, a uh, description of a time that, you know, where the lion will lie down by, by the lamb and, you know, a little kid is going to play in a viper's hole and not worry about it. That's kind of the stuff that's going to happen on the millennial kingdom. And so, anyway, he says, there's going to be a time that I will take you from a city and from a family, and then I'm going to bring you to Zion. Zion's a reference to uh, Jerusalem. And I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. This is important in the day of, of Jeremiah because there were so many false, uh, you know, you talk about the, the you know, some of our healthcare experts, right? Uh, the, the, the spiritual condition in that day, in, in Jeremiah's day, was, you know, prophets that are prophesying falsehood, priests that are wicked, you know, all the religious experts were totally negligent, and uh, they had no interest in following the Lord, and they were not encouraging the other people to follow the Lord. And so God says, in this millennial kingdom, I'm going to give you shepherds. They're going to feed you with knowledge and understanding, and a good shepherd is one that feeds with knowledge and understanding. And then it'll come to pass, verse 16, when you are multiplied and increased in the land in those days, says the Lord, that they will say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind, nor shall they remember it, nor shall they visit it, nor shall it be, able, uh, be made anymore. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. No more shall they follow the dictates of their evil hearts. Now, this is a reference. You recall in the Old Testament, there was the Ark of the Covenant, right? And uh, they made it during the days of Moses, and they put it in the tabernacle, and then later they put it into the, I'm sorry, later they put it into the temple uh, there during uh, uh, Solomon's time. And the Ark of the Covenant was um, really a representation. God, was never, God has never been contained in one place. But the Ark of the Covenant was a representation of the presence of God, right? And it was, it was to be uh, very much respectfully regarded as the presence of God. You may recall there was a time uh, when some people took the lid off and said, huh, I wonder what's in there, right? Well, they got killed right? Or there's a time when uh, David's transporting the ark uh, to Jerusalem, right? And it starts to, you know, the, the cart starts to wobble, and Uzzah, one of the guys, one of his workers, he kind of steadies the ark. Well, he died. And so uh, the ark was an awesome picture, an awesome representation of the presence of God. The presence of God is awesome. I believe somehow when we get to heaven, I don't know exactly how it's going to look, but I think when we are in the presence of God, we are all going to face plant so fast. We'll all probably have, I mean, if you had physical bodies in heaven, we'll all probably, we'd all probably have broken noses, right? Because I think when we see the presence of God, we're going to fall down so fast. We're going to be so humbled. We're going to be so in awe of the presence of God. We'll be blown away. And so prior to that time in eternity, there will be a time, again, in the millennial kingdom, when nobody's going to go looking for the ark. Why? Because Jesus is on the throne. You don't need a representation. You don't need a picture of me if I'm standing here, right? If Jesus is on the throne, you don't need a representation of him. 
And so uh, they won't have to worry about looking for the ark or, you know, make movies about it or anything. Uh, Jesus will be there. Verse 18, in those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given as an inheritance to your fathers. And so what a beautiful, beautiful picture. We'll see the restoration of the northern and southern kingdom. That'll be a beautiful picture. But I said, how can I put you among the children and give you a pleasant land and a beautiful heritage of the hosts of the nations? And I said, you shall call me my father and not turn away from me. Surely, as a wife treacherously departs from her husband, so have you dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, says the Lord. So what he's saying here is, I'd love to bless you guys, but it's just hard to bless you when you are totally rejecting me, right? Sometimes we want to have a relationship with God where we do our own thing. We live according to our own sinful habits. We, you know, we love ourselves. We love our covetousness. We love our sin. We love everything else. And oh, by the way, when we get in trouble, we want to pray to God. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. A voice was heard on the desolate heights, weeping and supplications of the children of Israel, for they have perverted their way. They have forgotten the Lord their God. So likely this is a time of judgment. It could be a time of judgment in the near fulfillment for Jeremiah. It could be a time of judgment during the great tribulation. And then again, verse 22, return. We're going to read that word, return, you backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Now Jeremiah says, indeed we do come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel, for shame has devoured the labor of our fathers from, your, from our youth. Their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters, we lie down in our shame, and our reproach covers us, for we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers, from our youth even to this day, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. So this is the kind of thing that a nation needs to say. When God says, return, you backsliding Israel, you backsliding children, you backsliding America, you backsliding whoever, and I will heal your backslidings, the right answer is not, oh, I didn't do anything wrong. The right answer is what we read here, oh, we do come to you. Yes, there's no salvation in all this other idolatry nonsense, right? Shame has devoured the labor of our fathers from our youths. We lie down in our shame, and our reproach covers us. We have sinned against the Lord, we and our fathers, from our youth even to this day, and we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. You know, if we talk like that, when we stumble, when we find ourselves in difficulty, God hears it. God hears it very much. I believe this is, again, a reference to the repentance of Israel uh, during the millennium. And he'll continue to seek out restoration of his nation. By the way, in the prophetic scheme of things, uh, please keep in mind, God is not done with Israel. God is not done with Israel. There's, there's, uh, and I don't like to split doctrinal hairs or, you know, theological hairs or anything like that, but God is very much not done with Israel. You know, you think about it. Let's say uh, parents, have you ever had a prodigal child? And again, this is sensitive. But if you ever had a prodigal child, do you say, yep, 
not my kid anymore. No. You grieve. Your heart breaks for that child. God's heart breaks for his prodigal children. He's not done with Israel. Chapter 4. If you will return, O Israel. Have we read that word? Return? I'm going to read it again. If you will return, O Israel, says the Lord, return to me. And if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. So, this is the call of the Lord to a sinful nation. Again, it applies to us as individuals. In our day, I believe it would definitely apply to our world. And if we are walking in sin, it applies to us. But the message is simple. The message is simple. Return. We talked about last week uh, the letter in, in Revelation to the church in Ephesus where God tells them, you have left your first love. Return. And we pointed out, he didn't say you've lost your first love because if you lost your first love, you don't know where to go to find it. Right? He says you've left your first love. You know exactly where you left it. You know exactly where you left it. Return. And by the way, when you return, leave your abominations behind, right? Because again, can we play with our abominations and have a sweet fellowship in our relationship with the Lord? No. Now, if we've got our abominations, does that mean the Lord's cast us off? No. Not like a, you know, like a prodigal child? No. But what's our purpose in life, really? To have sweet fellowship with the Lord to prepare for heaven, to live the abundant life here on earth, and to encourage as many people as we can to go with us. That's basically our summary statement. But let me just tell you this, and again, I've, I, I think you all sense this. The world's in a mess. I don't think we have time, again, I've Probably already been controversial enough today, so here we go. I don't think we have time to play video games. I don't think we have time to goof off. I don't think we have time to say, oh, I love the Lord, I want to serve Him, and, um, and I also want to serve my selfish desires. I think there's an urgency. I think there's an urgency. And you know, I, you know, we always feel like this, right? And maybe these times that we're in, maybe, the, maybe we'll go back to normal. <laughs> Did you notice we said that last summer? Right? Maybe we'll go back to normal. Maybe not. You know what? I've said this before. And again, I'm super, uh, I, COVID has been tough. But if there's a silver lining in it, it's this. It has awakened people. It has told people 
regardless of your spiritual depth, it has, it has brought an acute awareness of the fact that we cannot count on this world. Can you count on the world economically? I don't think so. Can you count on doctors? I don't think so. Can you count on health experts and big pharma, the same ones that told us that uh, uh, opiates are not addictive? I don't think so. Can you count on the Lord? Yes. And regardless of our spiritual depth, I think we all resonate with that on some level. And so, if COVID brings us that, then I appreciate that aspect of it at least. But please, 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 return to me, he would say, and put away your abominations. Now, I'm not saying, you know, if we sleep in an hour or if we eat dessert or if we play a video game, you know, those aren't necessarily abominations. But there's just a sense that I believe we need to be serious about the Lord. It's time to wake up and be serious about the Lord. And I think God is serious. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. I love this. So, uh, you know, the ancient world was a largely agrarian society, right? So farming was sort of the mindset, right? Break up your fallow ground. What's fallow ground? Fallow ground is ground that's not been, not been used for anything. It's unused. What's unused ground look like? It's full of weeds. The soil's probably hard. You know, it's, it's no good. So what happens? You break it up. Did Jesus talk about soil? Yeah, Jesus talked about soil. He said, you know, the soil is like our heart. And he said, you know, there was a, he told a parable. He said, a sower went out to sow, and he was sowing seed. What was the seed? The seed is the Word of God. You ever notice that I can read, I can sit here, and I've noticed this. I can sit here and read the Word of God, the seed, right? You look at a sunflower seed, right? Sunflower seed's got all the DNA. It's got everything it needs to produce a big, huge, crazy, beautiful sunflower plant, right? Nothing wrong with the seed. It's got everything it needs. But it's got to have decent soil. So I could read here. I could sit here, read the seed, right? And we all know it may fall on different kinds of soil. And I've seen it over the years fall on different kinds of soil. (laughs) It's amazing. It's kind of, uh, I might be disrespectful to call it funny, but it's kind of funny. I can, read the, I can read the seed, you know, and somebody will, depending on the soil, they say, wow, that seed really kind of stirred up my dirt a little bit, right? That's awesome. I think it's going to bear some fruit. Sure enough, you watch, and it does bear fruit, right? Other seed, right? There's a seed, uh, you know, sown among rocks right? Springs up real quick. Oh yeah, that was awesome, man. That was awesome. And three weeks later, you're like, is it not awesome anymore? Right? There's other seed that's sown among thorns, right? Yeah, that was awesome, but you know, I got a, I got a tea time in a half hour. Would you hurry up? 
right? There's other seeds like, mm, not for me, thanks. Birds come and take the seed away because the soil's so hard, never breaks through the surface, right? And honestly, you know, I don't take it personally because it's, Jesus told us. And I've, I, it's, it's almost like, well, you guys are all awesome soil, so, you know, it's almost like an irrelevant conversation, but, but I've seen it play out. I've seen, oh yeah, there's that soil. Oh yeah, there's that soil. Bless the, bless the thorns. Oh, there, there's that soil. There's the rocks. Oh, there's the good soil, right? What's Jesus say? Break up the foul, or what's, the, what's Jeremiah say? Break up the fallow ground. And again, let me just say this. It may not be, I'm not talking about go do some task, go do something, because what is the ground? It's your heart. It's a matter of the heart. And it may be that whatever's in that heart that's causing hardness, maybe it's a little bitterness. Maybe it's a little covetousness. Maybe it's an attitude about something. Maybe it's something very subtle. Maybe you don't even know what it is. Maybe you need to be like David and say, Lord, search me and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me and please lead me in the way of everlasting. Lord, you show me where that hard part is that needs to be rooted up. And I want to do it. I want to follow. I want to break up the fallow ground. And this would be a great time in history, in our lives today, to break up fallow ground. And please, don't sow it among the thorns. What's the thorns? Jesus says the thorns are the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. Let me tell you, the cares of this life are real. They're powerful. And let me tell you, the deceitfulness of riches is real. It's powerful. Don't sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. And take away the foreskins of your hearts. You men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and, and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. So break up your fallow ground. Don't sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. You know, circumcision was a sign that the males, the Jewish males, were circumcised. It was a sign to them of, of denying the flesh. Of, of literal, it was a literal... Um, don't want to get too literal, but it was a literal cutting away of the flesh, a part of the flesh that, frankly, is associated with a lot of sin. And so when the Jewish male saw himself and was reminded that he was circumcised, it was like a reminder that I'm one of God's people. And for us, we need to circumcise the flesh of our hearts. And again, maybe it's not just lust. Maybe it's covetousness. Maybe it's, maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's... it's whatever. And again, only God can show us that. But he says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Take away the foreskins of your heart, lest my fury come forth like a fire because of the evil of your doings. Declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, blow the trumpet in the land, cry, gather together and, and say, assemble yourselves and let us go into the fortified cities. Set up the standard toward Zion, take refuge, do not delay, for I will bring disaster from the north and great destruction. The lion has come up from his thicket 
and the destroyer of nations is on his way. He has gone forth from his place to make your land desolate. Your cities will be laid waste without inhabitant. So what he's saying here is, you know, despite the warning of Jeremiah, despite the warning from God, God knows that the nation will not repent. God knows that the nation of Judah will not repent. So he prophesies about the, ba- the Babylonians coming. The Babylonians are going to come. They're going to come out of the north. So he says here, I'm going to bring disaster from the north. It's going to be like a lion coming up from his thicket. You know, the lion's real quiet while he's in the, while he's in the, the thicket. And then he just comes out all of a sudden, right? Very uh, powerfully, and very destructive. Interestingly, at the end of the tribulation, we'll read about this in Ezekiel 38, around the end of the tribulation, different people argue about exactly when, but somewhere around the end of the tribulation, um, there's going to be a handful of nations come out of the north. Russia, Iran, Turkey, some of their allies are going to come north, out of the north to attack Israel. And guess what? They will not prevail. They will not prevail. And so we see this near fulfillment and this this latter fulfillment. If you, interestingly, if you look at, take a ruler on Jerusalem, go straight north, right? You go up, a, depending on the size of your map, a couple inches, right? You know what you're going to hit? Moscow. Moscow. And God says, they're in Ezekiel 38, they're going to come out of the north. And so sure enough, the near fulfillment is the Babylonians are going to come, they're going to actually destroy you. The more distant fulfillment is uh, this coalition of enemy nations is going to come. They will not destroy you. Why? Because God's going to set everything up. And so uh, it's kind of an interesting picture of the prophetic fulfillment. For this, he says, verse 8, Clothe yourself with sackcloth, lament and wail, for the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. And so, you know, the command now is to yourself. He says singular. He says, clothe yourself with sackcloth. And so... You know, again, regardless of how sinful a nation is, we can choose to be a remnant, right? Check this out. Daniel was living in Babylon all of his life, well, most of his life, right? Jeremiah here is in wicked uh, Judah. Ezekiel is living in Babylon for most of his ministry. And so it's possible to be a faithful remnant within a sinful nation. So even if our nation doesn't repent, we can still follow the Lord faithfully. And that's a promise from the Lord. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord, that the heart of the king shall perish and the heart of the princes, the priests shall be astonished and the prophets shall wonder. And so these are all the experts of the day. The king had a hard heart, but when, when the king goes down, uh, this is a reference to Zedekiah, when the, when the Babylonians come, his heart is going to melt. It's going to be a sad day for him. The last thing he sees, the last thing Zedekiah sees when he's captured is the murder of his sons. And then they rip his eyes out, take him to Babylon, and he stays there the rest of his days. Imagine that. That, that of a man whose heart was too hard to repent. Then I said, Ah, oh, Lord God, surely you have greatly deceived this people in Jerusalem, saying you shall have peace, whereas the sword reaches to the heart. So uh, different commentators have different takes on this. God never deceives his people. Uh, that probably this is some divine sarcasm because the prophets of the day were prophesying peace and Jeremiah kept saying, no, the Babylonians are coming. They say, no, we're having peace. No, the Babylonians are coming. And then when the Babylonians come, uh, the false prophets will be revealed. 
At that time, it'll be said to this people and to Jerusalem, a dry wind of the desolate heights blows in the wilderness toward the daughter of my people, not to fan or to cleanse. A wind too strong for these will come to me, come for me. Now I will also speak judgment against them. Behold, he shall come up like clouds and his chariots like a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, for we are plundered. So really almost prophetic um, description of when the Babylonians are going to come. O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness. You hear the heart of the Lord prior to destruction. Wash your heart from wickedness that you may be saved. How long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? For a voice declares from Dan and and proclaims affliction from Mount Ephraim. Now again, these are references to the northern kingdom of Israel. So it's kind of like, hey, by the way, even the northern kingdom, it's just a reminder, the northern kingdom is telling you guys to repent. They're telling you by their prior example. I think of like Jacob Marley, right? Jacob Marley had one, one last thing he wanted to say, right? Was, don't, hey Scrooge, don't let what happened to me happen to you, right? And it's a good lesson. And so what he's saying here is, you know, that's what Dan is saying. That's what Ephraim is saying. Make mention to the nations, yes, proclaim against Jerusalem that watchers come from a far country and raise their voice against the cities of Judah like keepers of a field. They are against her all around because she has been rebellious against me, says the Lord. Your ways and your doings have procured these things on you. This is your wickedness because it is bitter, because it reaches your heart. He goes on, and we'll just read this to the end because really it's all more description of all this. Oh, my soul, my soul, I am pained in my very heart. My heart makes a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because you have heard, oh, my soul. The sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war, destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is plundered. Suddenly my tents are plundered, and my curtains in a moment. How long will I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? And so he's lamenting that destruction's going to come. For my people are foolish, they've not known me. They are silly children and have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. Can that not be said of us, please? Can we know, can we have knowledge of good and innocence of evil, right? But, you know, we study those things that our hearts lead us to study, right? We need to be wise according to God's word. We need to be innocent of evil. Verse 23, I beheld the earth, and indeed it was without form and void, and the heavens, they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and indeed indeed they trembled, and all the hills moved back and forth. I beheld, and indeed there was no man, and all the birds of the heavens had fled. I beheld, and indeed the fruitful land was a wilderness, and all its cities were broken down at the presence of the Lord by his fierce anger. Again, poetic description of the destruction of Jerusalem. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be desolate. Yes, I will, yet I will not make a full end, for this shall the earth mourn. And the heavens above be black, because I have spoken. I have purposed and will not relent, nor will I turn back from it. The whole city shall flee from the noise of the horsemen and bowmen. They shall go into thickets and climb up on the rocks. Every city shall be forsaken, and not a man shall dwell in it. Now, after a little bit of this, these verses, you think, holy cow, I think God's making a point, right? Sounds to me like destruction's going to come from Babylon right? Well, why does God go into all of this, and why does it feel so like, like he's going over and over and over again? Because the false prophets, as we read through Jeremiah, the false prophets are going to say, no, 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 we're all good. We're good. Stock market's up. Everything's good. 
peace, peace, when there is no peace, is what Jeremiah says. And it's a little chilling if you read these pages and then read the, read the news, honestly. And when you're plundered, what will you do? Though you clothe yourself with crimson, though you adorn yourself with ornaments of gold, though you enlarge your eyes with paint, good luck making yourself look pretty when the Babylonians are coming. <laughs> Won't do you any good. In vain you will make yourself look fair. Your lovers will despise you. They will seek your life. For I have heard a voice as of a woman in labor, the anguish of her as of her who brings forth her first child, the voice of the daughter of Zion bewailing herself. She spreads her hands saying, Woe is me now, for my soul is weary because of murderers. So they've tried to look good. They tried outward religion, but inward rebellion, and that doesn't work. And then when destruction comes... It'll be too late. But the only solution is repentance. Return to me, God would say, to individuals and to nations. You know, throughout history, God deals with nations. He deals with individuals. And repentance is really the only step we can take. We can't clean ourselves up. We can't ignore it. We can't ignore that God's truth is real. We can't ignore that God's word is real. We can't ignore that God has punished nations in the past for sin and idolatry. And yet, through that, we as individuals, even regardless of what the nation does, and, you know, it's our, vo- it's our job to be a voice. It's not our job to fix the nation. It's our job to be a voice. But even through that, we can be Daniels, right? We can be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Listen, I'm not going to bow to that, however tall that gold thing was. I'm not going to bow to that. And you know what? I love what we came out of, of Wednesday night. You know what? God saves, if God saves us from the fire, that's awesome. If God doesn't, that's awesome. It's up to him. So let's be a faithful remnant. Right? Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you're so good. And yet, Lord, your your word is truth. As you said very directly to very directly when Pilate said, What is truth? Lord, you say through the Scripture, your word is truth. And Lord, we know your word to be very true. We know your, your ways are full of mercy and grace and loving kindness. You never cast us off, no matter how prodigal we are as, as, a, as people. You never... You never leave us or forsake us. And yet, Lord, we desire to have fellowship with you. We desire to be led by you. We desire to be beacons in a dark world. So, Lord, help us to be those people. Help us to be the good soil. Not the hard soil. Not the thorny soil. Not the shallow soil. But the good soil. That bears fruit 
that brings glory to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody have an awesome, awesome week.